The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. We begin with a February to forget. Stocks coming off their worst month since September. While the Tina trade could be DOA for the rest of 2023. An activist circling Salesforce, while yet another outspoken investor is targeting Mark Benioff and company. And ahead of its investor day, reports this morning, Tesla is planning a revamp of one of its most popular models. Plus, what just happened in China for the first time in more than a decade that's sending stocks there surging. And then later on in the show, more than 90% off its all-time high, while this one-time high-flying COVID vaccine maker says... Its future is all but certain. It is Wednesday, March 1st, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Collins. Start the day with a kicking, kicking off a look at the U.S. stock futures right now in the green across the board, as you can see, up just about a third of a percent to a half a percent across the board for all, the, all these indices. It was a very rough month for Wall Street. I saw the Dow, the Nasdaq and the S&P 500 close between one and four percent lower for the second month. Uh, second down month in the last three. However, not so for the transports. They eked out a half a percent gain. We're talking names like Avis, FedEx, JetBlue helping to prop up that index. Also checking the bond market. The inversion continues this morning as yields on the short end continue their sharper move higher. Looking at the yields right now, the yields right now on the two-year note at 4.853, highest level in about 16 years. Uh, the two-year notes gained about 60 basis points since the start of February. Still seeing that inverted yield curve Something that we continue to watch. Tenure note at 3.95 right now. All right, turning to energy also. The sector coming off its worst month since September. This is oil. It just continues to hover just below that $80 a barrel mark. We're seeing WTI crude right now at 76 bucks a barrel. Brent crude at about 83 bucks a barrel. Something to watch as that Chinese manufacturing data shows some signs of life when it comes to Chinese manufacturing. Also, looking around the world right now. Sharp moves higher overnight in Asia to kick off a new month of trading. Our Juliana Tattlebaum is in our London newsroom with much more on that action. Good morning, Juliana. Frank, good morning. Well, that positive action in Asia came straight from that positive surprise on the PMI front that you mentioned. Chinese factory activity grew at its fastest pace in over a decade, with February's manufacturing PMI jumping to 52.6, up from 50.1 in January. That was according to official data. It was the highest reading since April 2012, far exceeding analyst expectations. And as you can see, it drove some major gains overnight. The Hang Seng leading the pack up 4.2 percent, very strong gains in the tech sector in particular. And that positive momentum is feeding through to Europe as well, where we've got green across the board in Europe. In particular, we're seeing an easing of the supply chain issues in China, which feeds directly to Europe. And we've seen in terms of the European manufacturing PMIs this morning, supply chain pressure is easing. And we've got factory output returning to growth in February. So overall, uh, better than expected economic data is buoying sentiment across Asia and now across Europe. So, Frank, that's the positive handover that you're working with for Wall Street today. Our Juliana Tattlebaum, live in London. Great to see you as always. All right, let's get a check on this morning's top corporate story. Silvana Hanau is here with those. Good morning, Silvana. 
Hey, Frank, good morning to you. General Motors is cutting some 500 salaried positions as it looks to preserve cash and boost its bottom line. The cuts, which extend across several areas of the company, come roughly one month after CEO Mary Barra and CFO Paul Jacobson told investors the company was not planning any layoffs. Virgin Galactic says it's on track to resume space flights for paying customers in the coming months. This on the heels of upgrades to its carrier aircraft and spacecraft. The update was provided along with its latest quarterly results, which showed losses roughly in line with its previous quarter. And the U.S. Postal Service is buying some 9,000 Ford electric vans and 14,000 charging stations. The Ford e-transit battery EVs, which the Postal Service expects to take delivery of this December, are part of a plan to electrify 75 percent of its service trucks over the next five years, Frank. Savannah Hanel, we'll see you later on the show. Thank you very much. All right, turn it back to your money and what we're calling a February to forget as the major averages posted their second down month in the last three. But at least one area of the market that continues to shine, it's treasuries. This morning, the yield on the rate-sensitive two-year note is trading at its highest level in at least 16 years. Very similar story for the rest of the short end of the curve. Taking a look at what we're seeing right now when it comes to the short end, we're seeing the one-month bill at 4.6, the three-month bill at 4.877, even the three-year note at 4.56. And that's putting some investors in a very tough spot, according to former Bridgewater chief investment strategist Rebecca Patterson. Six-month T-bill today got to 5.14%. That's the highest it's been since 2007. If I can make 5% plus on six-month cash, that doesn't seem like a terrible opportunity cost Are stocks really going to go up 10%, 20% in the next six months? I kind of doubt it. Um, So doing a little bit of that, taking some chips off the table. All right, there we go. Joining me now is Silvercrest Asset Management, Head of Investment Strategy and Policy, Robert Teeter. Robert, great to have you here. Thank you, Frank. Great to be here again. So you just heard those comments. I mean, long story short, a lot of people believe that bonds are more attractive than equities right now. We're just talking about the two-year trading at a high we haven't seen for since basically the Great Recession, about 16 years. Is that changing how you're balancing portfolios, especially after we see the 60-40 portfolio coming off its worst year since 1999? It has changed things a bit. You're right. There's a lot more yield to be had on the fixed income side. Much easier to pick up decent rates of interest than not taking a lot of credit risk or duration risk. And so that thing makes things much more compelling. Um, I don't think the picture has changed a whole lot on the equity side, particularly as you look out over a longer time horizon. Short term here, we think will be volatile, but we do think there are gains to be had on the equity side as well. So it does change the picture somewhat. And I think both sides of the 60-40 look reasonably compelling here uh, over a reasonable time horizon. All right, let's focus on the 60% part. That's equities. Tech's shown a lot of leadership this year. There's been some questions about the quality of that leadership. But tech stocks, big mega cap tech, cloud stocks, just across the board, high risk assets have risen even as interest rates have risen. What do you make of that? Do you expect to see in this last month of the first quarter any change of leadership? I think leadership will remain the same. And I think February has brought us some really interesting clues. As you mentioned, rates have gone higher and techs remained in leadership and some of the areas lagging have remained the same as well. And what that tells me is that the market has done a pretty good job in terms of digesting the higher part of higher interest rates, which was really affecting the tech sector. But it's still coming to terms with the longer portion of higher for longer. So I think that timeline is still in question for how long it will take to get inflation fully under control. But I think we're sort of past the concerns about the peak going too high. And that tells me that we're in a mode where things will stay the same. This sector leadership will remain in place. And over a long time horizon, we'll fight our way through this inflation battle. 
All right. Speaking of inflation, February has just been marked by volatility. We have some big reports coming up um, in the next few weeks. We have CPI coming up in the middle of the month. Then we have the Fed meeting and then the Fed minutes at the tail end of the month. What do you make of all this? How much do you see this move in the market? Or is the idea of rate hikes and the fact that we're going to have higher inflation just already priced in? Well, I think we're back to a very highly news dependent take on each of the inflation metrics. So we went back and looked at the last 12 or 13 readings that have come out on different inflationary metrics. And one of the things that we've noticed is that it's not been so much about the level that's come out. It's been more about how have the numbers come in versus expectations. So this is the way we were maybe 18 months ago for a long time that faded and things were just sort of generally assumed to be getting better. Now we're back into a mode where it's all about how those figures come in versus expectations. So I think that sets us up for some volatility here as we work our way through all those critical announcements that you referred to. All right. First trading day of March. We'll have to see how it all turns out. Robert Teeter, thank you for being here. Thank you. We come back here on WEX, digging into the world of agriculture, construction and the impact of rising dollar and the rising rates. A worldwide exchange exclusive with CNH Industrial CEO Scott Wine. Plus, your big money movers and two tough reports from two names that you know. Well, the future of one of these stocks is all but certain. But first, we're back in Barcelona at the Mobile World Congress. Our Arjun Kapal is live on the showroom floor, right in the middle of all of it, Arjun, with the very latest. And after the break, we'll hear from the Qualcomm CEO on his future relationship with Apple, as well as all the latest text from World Mobile World Congress Worldwide Exchange back after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, welcome back to WEX. And we are back to the year's biggest mobile telecom conference, the Mobile World Congress, and some big news from one of the world's largest wireless chip makers. Arjun Kapal joins us now live from Barcelona, right there on the floor. Arjun, what are you seeing out there? Well, Frank, we've got some uh, new updates from Qualcomm and its future relationship with Apple. The CEO telling us he thinks Apple will shift to its own 5G modems in 2024. Remember, in 2019, Apple bought Intel's modem business, sparking speculation it would move to its own modem tech. Analysts had expected it by now. It hasn't happened. Cristiano Amon, CEO of Qualcomm, spoke to us earlier and said that he expects Apple to keep using its own modems for now until next year. Here's what he had to say. In our investor day in November 2021, we had said that we would expect uh, not to be providing a modem uh, to Apple for the iPhone launch in 23. Uh, They decided to uh, continue one more year. So two uh, earnings calls uh, ago, we had said we expect to have our modem in 23 and we're making no plans for 24. So my planning assumption is we're not providing them a modem in 24, but it's their decision to make. 
So this year's uh, iPhone will have uh, Qualcomm modems in it, but next year's might be a different story, Frank. All right, so you're not just looking at wireless tech out there, Arjun. You also have seen some uh, big news when it comes to augmented reality. That's right. A lot of the chat here is what is going to be the next big computing platform. Smartphone was a huge shift, a huge paradigm shift in computing. A lot of the big smartphone makers now are looking at this idea of mixed reality headsets. I'm on the stand of Xiaomi, uh, the uh, Chinese smartphone maker. They've got some augmented glasses on display behind me. I had a chance also to catch up with Samsung, one of the world's largest smartphone players. An executive there telling me the company's figuring out a roadmap for its mixed reality devices. It's got a partnership with Google and Qualcomm, and it's working on those now. And it's an interesting time because there's rumors swirling as well that Apple uh, is exploring uh, these mixed reality headsets as well. Clearly, the global electronics makers think this is where the next big consumer product's going to be, and this is where the next runway over the next 10 years is going to be uh, for growth as well. Samsung also giving me an update on its latest devices, the S23 smartphone series. Uh, executive Patrick Chomay, who's uh, head of the, one of the big dogs in the mobile business, saying that the S23 cells at the moment are outpacing last year's uh, flagship so far. He says 60% of pre-orders have come from the $1,200 Ultra, showing their strength in that high end of the market at the moment, Frank Sterling. Right. Clearly one eye on the future here from all the big uh, smartphone makers. All right, Arjun, great reporting as always. And the turtleneck with the salmon jacket, you're killing it, man. Email me your stylist. Looking great out there. Uh, Arjun I'm Gopal. Blend, blend in with the tech crowd here. <laughs> you're definitely, I think you're standing out more than blending, but you look great, man. All right, coming up ahead on WEX, Tesla getting set to revamp one of its most popular models just in time for its annual investor day. What Elon Musk might say tonight and what it could mean for a stock that's already up 60% this year. Stay with us. More WEX coming up. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, welcome back to WEX. Time now for your big money movers. We're going to start off with the shares of AMC. You can see they're down more than 7.5% after reporting a loss for the 14th consecutive quarter and the fourth consecutive year, though it did top Wall Street's reduced targets for the holiday quarter. The movie theater chain has not reported a profitable quarter since the second quarter of 2019 and has not been profitable for a full year since all the way back in 2018. But the company's CEO says he's confident a multi-year recovery is ahead. COVID vaccine maker Novavax sending a warning about its ability to remain in business as weak demand for its vaccines and uncertainty over government contracts weighs on the company because these shares are down more than 23 percent. Novavax saying yesterday there is significant doubt over its 2023 revenue, but the current cash flow forecast suggests the company has enough funds to operate for the next 12 months. And Rivian shares hitting the skids after the carmaker announced it plans to make about 50,000 trucks this year. That's 10,000 fewer than analysts expected. Rivian also forecasting an operating loss of $4.3 billion this year, citing supply chain constraints at its Illinois production facility as the main limiting factor. All right, a trio of software earnings after the bell today as well. Salesforce has the biggest potential to be a market mover. Revenue forecast increased almost 10% year over year. Profit by 43%. But the big thing to watch, well, it's right here behind me, 
any developments related to the now six activists that are in on CRM. Salesforce has already added the CEO of Value Act to its board. Starboard has cited a subpar mix of growth and profitability. The latest activist, Drive Asset Management, is challenging the company's quote-unquote wokeness, according to a Wall Street Journal report. But according to that report, has a relatively small stake of around $1 million. The window to nominate new board members is open until March 14th. All right, next up is Snowflake. Forecasts see revenue increased by 50%, but EPS actually declined by almost two-thirds. Now, this is a high valuation stock that has questions about near-term growth. Snowflake operates a consumption model or usage-based pricing. Wells Fargo out with a note yesterday saying there are some near-term demand concerns, but the long-term outlook really makes it a quality name. All right, Box is forecast to see revenue increase by 10%, EPS by 43%. The CNBC data team also looking at this company saying Box is a name that could swing the profitability on a gap basis sooner than expected due to strong net cash flow. All right, let's dive more into the cloud. And what's the best bet for your money with Keith Weiss, Morgan Stanley analyst? Keith, great to have you here. Excellent. Thank you for having me. All right, Keith, I think we just got to begin with Salesforce. I mean, this is such a big report for this company. What do you expect when it comes to the numbers? And what do you expect when it comes to commentary about these now six activist investors? I think you're right. There's a huge expectation coming into this print, um, probably less so about the, the current fundamentals. There's pretty low expectations in terms of the overall growth. The key number people are looking at for the current quarter, their, their fiscal Q4, is going to be their current remaining performance obligations numbers. That's supposed to grow about 10% constant currency. If they hit that number, I think investors will feel fine about uh, them at least having visibility and control over uh, kind of their near-term fundamentals. But the real focus, like you were um, alluding to, is going to be which one of those activist dials, if you will, are they willing to turn the most? Um, there's high expectations that we'll get higher operating margin targets on a go-forward basis, given the restructuring that just came through. But any commentary about um, how they're looking to augment or change management is going to be very interesting to investors, as well as any uh, changes in the return of capital uh, to shareholders. Can they potentially increase the buyback? That's something that you could also potentially hear about uh, tonight on earnings. Yeah, one of those active investors, Starboard, has uh, highlighted a what they call a subpar mix of growth and profitability. You mentioned some change to the targets, but beyond this report, as they try to settle with these different activist investors with the nomination window closing at March 14th, are you expecting somebody else to get a board seat? What other big moves do you think are likely? Yeah, uh, like, like you said, um, there's multiple activists involved in the stock, and they're they're vying for. Uh, multiple changes to potentially take place on, on a go-forward basis. Um, the biggest ones I, I do think, and I've, I've talked to multiple of these uh, activists, um, is a better mix of growth and profitability. Um, so, so the biggest uh, single thing that investors are going to be listening to is how is the company talking about um, the impacts of the most recent round of structuring, restructurings? Are there more headcount reductions to come on a go-forward basis to get sales productivity to where it needs to be? Um, right. So that's going to be the number one focus. Where does operating margins come out? Um, the uh, Another additional focus can be returning more of uh, their cash to shareholders. Okay. The company has talked about returning 30 to 40 percent of their free cash flow in in the form of repurchases. They could definitely take that higher um, okay. uh, on a go-forward basis. That would be a positive indicator as well. The okay. other sort of impact, would that would be uh, uh, something of a restraint on the uh, company's ability to do large M&A on a go-forward basis. That's also something I'm sure investors want to hear is that 
um, there's not going to be additional large deals taking place like we saw with Slack. Let me jump in for a second. We, we want to go rapid fire on some of these other ones that we're looking ahead at. Let's talk about Snowflake. Uh, Ford PE over 300 times high valuation name with demand concerns. What's your take on this recent quarter? Consumption based model basically pay as you go. Yeah, we lean uh, positively on Snowflake. Um, while it is a high valuation name, um, one in the near term, we think the demand trends are going to be better than feared. Um, Data warehousing, uh, data analytics, moving your data into the cloud is a very high priority item for large enterprises in the current environment. It helps them navigate the volatility that we're seeing on a go forward basis. We think uh, their large enterprise focus carries their uh, demand better than people are, are fearing. So we think they have a okay. top line outperformance. On the bottom line, they've been rapidly improving their uh, uh, profitability, their margins and free cash flow. We think that continues into the forward year. So we would be leaning more aggressively into Snowflake ahead of the quarter and definitely into into their forward fiscal year. Really? All right. Keith Weiss, bullish on Snowflake. Appreciate the insight. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Ahead here on WEX, some Cardi B backlash. Why some McDonald's franchise owners... They're not too happy with the fast food giant's recent collaboration with the rapper. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And Wex, we'll be right back. It is right around 5.30 a.m. here in the New York City area, and we are just getting started here on Wex. Here is what's still on deck. Investors looking to leave a fumbled February behind, futures suggesting some changing fortunes ahead. And we're set to get the latest look at the health of the consumer with Lowe's results due out at the top of the hour. We talked to one top analyst who says that stock has plenty of room to run. And pulling back the curtain on Elon Musk's master plan for Tesla, what he may have in store for today's Investor Day and what it could mean for this surging stock. It is Wednesday, March the 1st. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And welcome back. I'm Frank Holland. Thanks for waking up with Wax. Let's pick up the half an hour with a check on U.S. stock futures right now in the green across the board, as you mentioned, for this first trading day of March. We're seeing a nice move to the upside. Now, this after a February to forget. All three major indices falling between one and four percent. You can see the chart right here. The Dow, the hardest hit. Nasdaq down three percent as well. Um, Second down month in the last three. Some of the month's biggest laggards in the S&P, Lumen Technologies, Match Group and Moderna. We're also keeping our eye on the bond market. The inversion continues this morning as yields on the short end continue their sharp move higher. Here's the inversion right here. Two year note above the 10 year note. That two year note trading at about a 16 year high uh, moved about 60 basis points higher during the month of February. We also want to keep our eye on energy. The sector coming off its worst month since September. This is oil. It just continues to hover right below that 80 bucks a barrel mark. We're seeing WTI crude at 76 right now. Brent crude at 83. Right now, both of them are moving lower. There was a a brief rise in the overnight hours after that uh, Chinese manufacturing data showed a lot of expansion when it came to the Chinese manufacturing sector. Something to watch when it comes to oil prices. All right, let's get a check on some of the morning's top stories. Our Silvana now is back with those. Good morning again, Silvana. Frank, good morning again. I'm back with more. All right. An FDA panel is giving the green light for the broader agency to approve the country's first RSV vaccine for older people. The shot made by Pfizer would be for people 60 years and older. According to the company, the single dose shot was shown to reduce the risk of respiratory virus by as much as 86 percent. 
Twitter is reportedly scaling back its office space presence in New York City. According to Bloomberg, the company is subleasing 200,000 square feet of office space in Manhattan. The report says the move is part of CEO Elon Musk's attempt to cut costs. And it comes as Amazon and Meta also scale back their New York City footprints. And McDonald's apparently facing backlash from some franchisees about its meal collaboration with rappers Cardi B and Offset. According to reports, some restaurant owners have contacted corporate to express concern the pair's role in McDonald's ongoing famous orders campaign that could hurt their family friendly image given past scrutiny for their explicit lyrics. The reports add some owners have pushed fellow franchisees to join them in removing ads and merchandise related to the campaign, Frank. I don't know. I'd still pull up and order my fries and cheeseburger, but that's just me. <laughs> Are you a Cardi B fan? I am. <laughs> well, that, I think that's why then, Silvana. All right, Silvana, now. Thank you very much. You got it. All right. This morning, we're also watching shares of Lowe's as the company gears up for its earnings report. The results coming on the back of that weak report from its rival Home Depot, missing revenue expectations for the first time since back in 2019 and issuing a weaker than expected outlook. Let's talk about uh, more about what to expect from Lowe's with Liz Suzuki, B of A Securities senior hardlines retail analyst. Liz, great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Frank. All right. So let's look ahead to Lowe's. Our report comes out just after Worldwide Exchange ends at about six o'clock on the uh, East Coast. So something interesting about Lowe's, its sales mix is about 75 percent do it yourself, mostly homeowners, 25 percent pros compared to Home Depot. That's about 50 50. What are you expecting in this report? Sure. Well, especially after Home Depot reported and they did have that slightly you know, lower than expected top line, I think we can probably expect the same from Lowe's. And really that mix of DIY customers being a bigger percentage of Lowe's sales, that's really where we've seen a little bit more of that incremental weakness, whereas the pro side has generally been going pretty strong. And our data has shown that as well at Bank of America. We see, you know, we break out home improvement retail versus professional housing related services. And so those pro housing services are still holding Holding up very, very well, whereas, you know, we've seen some declines year over year in, uh, in DIY. I'm curious about that because, you know, mortgage rates are obviously elevated right now. Most people aren't changing homes or buying new homes and trying to get out of their house because they have a pretty low rate. Why isn't that a tailwind for do-it-yourself, people wanting to fix up the house they're in? Right. Well, I think there is a little bit of that lock-in effect where, you know, when you can't move and you can't, you know, change homes because you already have a low mortgage rate, you don't want to take on a more expensive one. And there's not that much supply, right? You know, housing supply has been a pretty big constraint. So, you know, in that environment, you can just make your home meet the needs that right. you have, right? And which is making renovations. So there is still obviously some strong demand, which is why we still see sales so elevated versus 2019 levels. So we're still holding at very strong levels, just, you know, starting to see a little bit of, you know, of weakness there on the housing turnover side. So housing turnover does tend to cause a lot of renovation activity as well, right? You prepare your home for sale, and then when you're about to move in, you do a lot of renovations too, which I got to experience firsthand <laughs> about six years ago. So yeah, there is a lot of that activity that is tied to housing turnover. But, you know, without that, you still have, you know, ongoing renovation, which is why you see some of the building products companies seeing bigger dips in sales right now versus the home improvement retailers that are holding relatively steady at high levels. Let's do a little bit of a retail roundup. What mm -hmm. else are you looking at going forward? 
Sure. So for the rest of the week, I mean, we also have Best Buy reporting this week. Um, and so one of the interesting read-throughs we'll get from Lowe's is on appliance demand, right? Appliances are actually a really big category for Best Buy as well. We've already heard from Whirlpool that reported earlier uh, in, in January, and they actually had a pretty weak quarter. So appliances and appliances were actually called out by Home Depot as one of their weaker categories, too. So uh, I think that that's going to be one area, you know, these big ticket items uh, that are a little bit more discretionary that had incredibly strong sales during the pandemic. We're starting to see some of that uh, that weakness coming off of that. So we'll see if that's the case at Best Buy as well. So is the real weakness in discretionary or when you look at retail like a Best Buy, is it personal Mm -hmm. electronics and things like that? Do you expect to see more weakness there? Yeah, exactly. So that's why, um, you know, we have a relatively less constructive uh, view on Best Buy for the year ahead. I think right now, you know, we're we're focused on needs over wants. We think that's going to be a big theme in 2023 where, you know, the consumer, there's so much uh, competition for those consumer dollars Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, they're mostly going to go towards needs. I mean, inflation is still a really big headwind, especially on growth. So people really have to choose where they're spending. And so it's going to be on something that they view as an investment. And we do think that the home counts as you know, an investment. So when they're making those renovations, that's something where they feel like they'll get a return on those dollars. All right. A lot of questions about the consumer, a lot of market volatility. Before we let you go, what's your top pick in the retail sector going forward? Sure. I mean, I think that there there are a lot of great names in my coverage universe. Lowe's is certainly one of them. We have, um, you know, over 30 percent upside to our price target. This is a really interesting time for Lowe's right now because the the story about closing that margin gap between Home Depot and Lowe's has been a big part of what people have been waiting for and like seeing over the last five years as Marvin Ellison joined as CEO. We've seen that consistent improvement in margins. This year, uh, Lowe's has already guided to 2023 margins where they're seeing improvement of at least 60 basis points. Home Depot just guided last week, and they're going to see about 80 basis points of uh, decrease in, in operating okay. margin. So that, that gap is already closing. I think that's, that's going to be something to watch for right, Lowe's so, today. Something to watch. Liz Suzuki of B of A, thank you for being here, in person especially. <laughs> thank you. All right, Tesla's reportedly readying a revamp of his top-selling Model Y crossover. Reuters reporting the changes, codenamed Juniper, involve updates to the interior and exterior, and they could be ready for production by 2024. This ahead of Tesla's annual investor day with the stock up 60% this year. Elon Musk teasing a reveal of his master plan three. Joining me now is Wall Street Journal reporter and CNBC contributor Tim Higgins. Hey, Tim. Good morning. All right. So we're hearing from sources. We're getting some insight into what could be happening. What do you think is going to happen as far as the uh, remodel of the Model Y and other changes going forward? Well, this is an opportunity for Elon to kind of uh, recast or reframe the debate around the stock, around the company, uh, really kind of putting the company forward into the future. How is the company going to get to 20 million sales annually? Uh, How is it going to continue to have these high multiples in valuation in an era when other electric vehicle startups are are, and traditional automakers are are trying to catch up with Tesla? So this is about uh, bigger strategy, but also tactical uh, new factories. Uh, potentially a new platform. Uh, how is he going to get to a, a vehicle that costs uh, $25,000 instead right. of $40,000 like they have right now? So uh, can I ask, I, I think it's a question probably a lot of investors want to know, why is it a big secret? I mean, generally when you announce a, a, a new model when it comes to a traditional internal combustion engine car, people get excited about it. So why such a secret when it comes to this one? Well, this is about uh, you know building buzz and, and building towards it. Uh, you have to remember the Model 3 and the Model Y are getting to be long in the tooth, so it wouldn't be uh, unexpected for there to be kind of a, a revamp of those. But the real big 
meat of the day for a lot of investors is going to be the next uh, generation of platforms uh, that the company is working on. Uh, Elon has hinted at that in the past few years, the idea, the goal of getting a cheaper vehicle out there for the masses. Right. That's really going to fuel that uh, March to 20 million uh, annual sales that he's kind of put on the on the board. All right. So what else are you expecting from Investor Day? A lot of anticipation. Uh, will Elon Musk himself be on the call? Do you expect him to say anything controversial or anything else exciting for investors? Yeah, absolutely. This is a day about uh, building excitement for the company. Um, he has used these kinds of days in the past to set out uh, kind of a broader mm-hmm. vision for where he is going, um, but also some tactical uh, steps as well. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if he officially announces a new factory for Mexico. Uh, he's going to need a, a lot of factories in coming years if he's going to get to that goal of 20 million. The question, though, among some investors, is there going to be demand for all of those cars. So uh, that'll be one thing we'll be looking for is kind of his optimism for the, the company in the years ahead, especially in the near term among concerns about a slowdown uh, in the reset and a kind of an economic macroeconomic environment. Uh, so a lot about it, a lot about today is going to be his mood and where he sees the company going in the years ahead. All right. You were kind of talking around another question I had for you when it came to demand. He has some rising competitors in the form of Ford and GM. There's also Rivian. There's Lucid. A lot of other companies have come out with electric vehicles, and some of them are very attractive. That was one of the selling points of Tesla from the very beginning. Um, Does he say anything about this rising competition, price cuts, anything else for Tesla to maintain its advantage? Yeah, this is all about kind of ensuring uh, that he stays ahead of, of, of the competition. Will he talk about specifics about demand? It's hard to say, uh, but, you know, without a doubt, uh, you know, competition is rising. And, you know, there has no there's been kind of commentary in the market about concerns that the Model Y and the Model 3 are kind of looking long in the tooth, haven't been out there for so many years. But this is also a week that kind of uh, also illustrates the lead that Tesla has among those uh, kind of upstarts. Look at Rivian reporting results this week that were disappointing. Lucid is out there uh, kind of disappointing. Uh, Tesla has been doing this uh, now for a number of years and has built uh, you know some strength in how it manufactures its vehicles. And I wouldn't be surprised if Elon hits those notes, hits kind of the machine to build the machine, as he often says, talking about how he's going to get more efficiency out of building his products. All right, Tim Higgins from the Wall Street Journal. Great to see you as always. Thanks for being here. Thank you. All right, coming up here on WEX, a CNBC exclusive with CNH CEO Scott Wine talking customer demand for his company's equipment and the one-two punch of inflation and rising rates on CNH's bottom line. That conversation coming up next. All right, welcome back to WEX. We've got some news in the logistics and supply chain space today. Zebra Technologies is welcoming a new CEO. The supply chain tech company far outperforming the NASDAQ 100, Dow Transports, and the broader S&P year-to-date. Customers include Toyota, Lowe's, and Target, the latter two reporting their earnings this week. Zebra provides devices and data for inventory management, something new CEO Bill Burns tells me is a key issue for the entire retail sector. Ultimately, now we're just trying to figure out what happens from a macro environment perspective. How much inventory do they want to hold? You know, where am I at? Am I um, demand signals to, to the end suppliers and ultimately making sure I got the right inventory when somebody wants to buy so I don't lose that sale? All right. You can see my exclusive full interview with Zebra Technology CEO Bill Burns over at CNBC.com. Just search State of Freight. Burns also shares his vision for the company going forward as he begins his first day as CEO. 
All right, companies are still looking to invest in new equipment, even as they may be tightening their overall budgets amid uncertain and conflicting economic signs. Inflation, rising rates, and the hot labor market. The Equipment Leasing and Financing Association, which tracks the $1 trillion sector, says U.S. companies borrowed 6% more in January for investments. They signed up for nearly $9 billion in new loans and leases and lines of credit. CNH Industrial is a global manufacturer of agricultural and construction equipment. With nearly 75% of their revenue from North America and Europe, the company also finances just about a third of all their customer purchases. And joining me now on a WEX exclusive, Scott Wine, CEO of CNH. Good to have you here, Scott. Frank, thanks for having me on your second week, and congratulations on the show. Thanks a lot, Scott. I appreciate that. All right, let's get right into it, Scott. So you get more than a third of your business from North America, the United States, and more than a third of your business from Europe. Give us a sense of the demand for not only farming equipment, but construction equipment in both regions. You know, the, to start the year, we're seeing really strong demand, specifically in the Americas. I mean, North America and South America were really strong last year, and we really see no signs of that slowing down. You know, Europe uh, is, is a little bit uh, off to a shaky start this year, but we expect that to be, you know, flat to slightly down for the year. So overall, I think the, the global ag environment still remains quite strong in this uncertain uh, overall economic environment we're in. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that global ag environment. We saw wheat prices just really spike after the Ukraine conflict began. Ukraine, also known as the breadbasket of Europe. Um, the prices have certainly decelerated from those highs, but they're still elevated compared to pre-pandemic. How does that impact your sales? You know, really, the um, soft commodity prices do drive so much of farm income. Uh, what we're seeing now, even as you're seeing a, a softening a bit in some of the soft commodity prices, the other input costs for farmers are coming down. So overall, farm income is still elevated from historical norms. And, you know, certainly that helps uh, demand. And, and really, like I said, you know, what we're seeing uh, in North and South America, and I was just with our Asia Pacific dealers uh, last uh, yesterday, um, and they're really bullish about the first half of the year, uh, the demand they see in Australia and New Zealand as well. What about manufacturing? And you're speaking of Asia. We're seeing China begin to reopening and showing some signs of expansion in its manufacturing sector. What are you seeing when it comes to your construction business? You know, our construction business is um, Stefano Pompoloni and his team are really doing a nice job. The Case brand is extremely strong. We've got Con Expo coming up in Las Vegas, and I think we're really going to show the world, you know, what we see uh, coming with our construction business. Overall demand right now, the first half of the year is very, very strong in the Americas. Uh, we did, you know, uh, end our business in China. We were uh, a sub-tier player there and uh, really felt like we could devote our sources, uh, our resources elsewhere. But really, um, you know, feel like that our, our construction business is on a positive trajectory, lots of work to do, but solid um, future of margin expansion. And we really like where we sit there in the uh, opportunity with our ag business as well really allows us to ha to hold that business relatively cheaply and invest wisely. All right. You are a multinational. Uh, you only get about 37 percent of your revenues here in North America, the rest in other parts of the world. Give us uh, your take on two big macro factors. First, the rising dollar. We saw the, the dollar rise pretty sharply in February and then also rising rates, considering you finance about a third of your customers yourself. Yeah, well, you know, obviously the, the rates and the currency tend to go hand in hand. And, you know, as a global player, we're somewhat naturally hedged, um, but we also have a very sophisticated financial services arm. And, you know, that does, it's a way that we can support our dealers with uh, flooring finance and also with the retail finance arm. And, you know, we can use the, as higher rates go up, you know, we can limit the impact on the farmer by buying down the rates. And that's got a small impact 
on a net interest margin. But really, overall, um, you know, we're we've got a we're able to manage the strong dollar without too much trouble. And, you know, the dollar is uh, it's still down significantly from where it was about a year ago. So, you know, we feel like we can navigate these um, macro uh, issues quite well. All right. So you mentioned you're, you're buying down the interest rates a bit and it hits the, the bottom line a bit. But does it also dampen demand or some of your customers perhaps discouraged by these rising rates and the higher financing costs? You know, Frank, really a lot of them are trading in vehicles. And so um, uh, the, the overall impact of higher rates is I wouldn't say it's de minimis, but it, it is rather insignificant, you know, with our support. So, you know, that's so far not had much of an impact on demand. We are seeing in certain regions where um, just inflation has been so rampant for several years now that pricing has gone up 20 percent year over year in some cases. Um, so we're, we're seeing that have a, a little bit of an impact on demand. But Overall, like I said, the demand environment uh, in our ag business is quite strong. All right. Scott Wine, CEO of CNH. Thank you for being here. And I appreciate the congratulations on my second week. All right. All right thanks, coming Frank. up here on WEX, stocks looking to get back on track after a February fumble. CIC's wealth, uh, Malcolm Etheridge, lays out the two cybersecurity names that he is finding opportunity in. And be sure to tune in tomorrow for an exclusive interview with Peter Jackson, the CEO of Flutter. Amid growing anticipation of FanDuel's parent company listing its stock in the U.S., that's tomorrow at 5.40 a.m. Eastern, only on Worldwide Exchange. And we're back in a moment. All right, welcome back. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you may have missed as we close in on the 6 o'clock hour. Chinese factory output growing at its fastest in a decade in February. The sharpest uptick coming amid easing COVID rules and as manufacturing in the rest of Asia stalls. Rivian announcing its plans to make 50,000 electric vehicles this year. However, that's 10,000 less than what analysts were expecting. COVID vaccine maker Novavax warning of substantial doubt about its ability to remain in business as weak demand for its vaccines and uncertainty over government contracts weighs on that company. General Motors cutting approximately 500 jobs as it follows other major companies and downsizing headcount to preserve cash and boost profits. Virgin Galactic saying it remains on track to resume space flights in the coming months after completing upgrades to its carrier aircraft and spacecraft. Fourth quarter results showing losses roughly in line with the previous quarter. And Instacart reportedly generating 50% higher sales and 80% higher profit in the fourth quarter ahead of the company's expected IPO. The company setting a push in advertising as a key growth driver. All right, gearing up for the trading day ahead. Investors awaiting weekly mortgage applications as well as February manufacturing PMI and ISM manufacturing figures this morning. And then on the earnings front, Lowe's and Salesforce among the others reporting. Minneapolis Fed President Neil Kashkari and Atlanta Fed President Raphael Bostic will be delivering speeches. And Disney hybrid employees will be required to return to corporate offices four days a week starting today. All right, let's dive into the trading day ahead as investors look to shake off February's losses and get 2023 gains back on track. Joining me now, Malcolm Etheridge, CIC Wealth Executive Vice President and the newest addition to the CNBC contributor roster. Malcolm, great to have you here. First appearance as a contributor. Yeah, morning, Frank. Good to see you. All right, let's start off. You and I were just actually chatting yesterday and you said you're watching inflation, but not just here in the United States, but over in Europe as well. And you believe that could actually impact the market action we're seeing here. That's right. I'm, I'm actually concerned that Fed Chair Powell could be paying attention to the uh, reversion to a rise in inflation that happened in uh, France and also Spain and looking and saying we don't want that to happen here. 
which <laughs> means we have to continue to stay aggressive for longer uh, as he was trying to back his way away from, I believe, uh, and trying to work our way toward this soft landing that he kept promising. I think we see evidence like that where inflation starts to creep back up and you have to go. Maybe we have to increase rates a few more times here, uh, which could be terrible news to the market's ears as we've all sort of come to uh, consensus around the idea that the market was uh, sorry, the Fed was going to be pausing at least, if not cutting rates toward the back half of the year. All right. So you're saying rising rates could be a concern. But to be honest, we've seen tech just kind of shake that off. The Nasdaq outperforming, excuse me, the other indexes so far this year. Do you believe that trend is going to continue? And as someone who's looking at stocks in different sectors, what are the metrics that you're focusing it on? Is it about growth again? Is it about dividends? Is it about margin? I mean, give me a sense of the key metric. I know it's not an umbrella thing, but just one of the big things you're looking for. So you're right. In January, we did see this moment where all of a sudden the more risky, uh, uh, frothier, dare I say, names uh, that you know, we're really the biggest losers of 2022, all of a sudden started to have this resurgence. Uh, and then in February, we saw uh, the, the, the S&P the last three weeks wasn't very good to us. And we saw a lot of those larger growth names start to come back in. I think what investors really have to focus on is just good quality companies that are doing real business and aren't necessarily speculative, speculative or just adding AI to the end of their name as a <laughs> uh, means to add some growth in the short term. Uh, and they also are companies that are returning capital to shareholders in the form of either dividends or buybacks or some combination of both. That's really where I think investors should be focusing right now. Otherwise, you might as well hide out in the six month treasury uh, and get get what close to five percent in yield. Yeah, Malcolm, you're not the only person saying that. I do want to get to two of your picks. Um, both of them are in the cybersecurity space, but also both high valuation names. I'm looking right now at Palo Alto Networks, 47 times forward P.E., and then CrowdStrike, 64 times forward P.E. Um, at that valuation, why is that so attractive right now? Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I, I think that those two names, not necessarily just based on the technicals, but if you consider where we are in the marketplace right now, I just mentioned the, the need to focus on companies that are doing real business. And every single time we hear about a major ransomware attack or a data breach at a place like the U.S. Marshal Service and LastPass, whenever these sorts of events tend to make big headlines, it always spells a spike in the share price of names like this. CrowdStrike, I should say, I own already personally, but Palo Alto I've been watching it for, for quite some time, waiting for an opportunity for it to come in a little bit. And you just mentioned it. It hasn't really. It's up over 10 percent since announcing a big earnings beat, which means I could be waiting a while. But the point there is that in this particular case, I think that this is still a, uh, an attractive place to be looking to, to deploy some capital, this being cybersecurity, where the rest of tech maybe is seeing a bit of a slowdown. I don't expect these major incidents to slow down in the cybersecurity space, which means spending is going to continue to stay at least uh, flat, if not significantly positive uh, over the next you know, three, four, five years. Yeah, a lot of risk out there when it comes to, to cybersecurity, certainly. Malcolm Etheridge from CIC Wealth, thanks for being here. Also, your Tech Money podcast, big fan. Great to see you. All right, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box, coming up next. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 